0: Renee Brown. Oh Hit yes, me with she it.
1: said it's like when you get to about forty, the universe comes and puts its hands on your shoulders and whispers in your ear and says, I'm not fucking around. <laughs> 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 so it's like I feel like we could go down this path, go down that path, do all these things, get distracted by all sorts of shiny stuff. But sooner or later our hearts and our souls do go, Right, you've had your fun. And and it's still gonna be a lot of fun. But you came here for a reason. You came here for a reason. What, what? And you know what it is. You know what it is. I think when it comes to purpose, for example, which I think finding our purpose is really important when it comes to a good life, a satisfying life. One way to find out is thinking of what in two ways. What did you love when you were a child or had the most interest or passion in because at some point life said or adults said or someone said, oh, that won't work, that can't happen, that's not a thing, you've just got to do X, Y, or Z. So children have a knowing of it. And what breaks your heart the most, what gets to you the most, what, what I think that's a really good telltale sign of where your purpose lies
0: Hi there, welcome back to Good for the Hive, a weekly podcast where I get to talk to a whole host of people to learn their life lessons and answer the question, what is a good life? In this week's episode, I'm speaking with Megan Cole. Megan is an energy healing practitioner and meditation teacher. Megan tells me all about spirit guides, how meditation has changed her life and what it's like to receive the big kahuna massage. If you enjoy the episode, please do hit the like button. And if you're new around here, do subscribe. The more likes and subs that we get, the bigger the guests that we can attract and the more value that we can offer you let's jump into the episode welcome
1: to the podcast thanks for having me on
0: no problem at all so we'll start the podcast as i want to start all of these and ask you the very simple question of what is a good life
1: well i think the short answer is i don't know (laughs) but i will expand on that (laughs) since we're here for a conversation and you know At this point in my life, I think that a good life is one where you can access and cultivate and have inner contentment and find peace regardless of the outer circumstances of life or how people are treating you or perceiving you, what you have or don't have, regardless of any and all of that, that can access contentment. And I also think that balance is a huge thing. And I think a lot of people say balance is elusive. Like, how can we ever have balance between work and life or doing versus being, you know, action versus rest? or? But I mean balance in a deeper way in action versus allowing ourselves to rest, but balance between the different parts of ourselves. So what I'm getting at, what I'm trying to say is, I feel like we're so multi-leveled. level multi-layered, multi-dimensional and so we um, have our ego that has a certain idea and definition of what makes a good life. We have our heart that has a certain definition of what would make a good life. So there's our mind, our ego, our personality, our hearts and then our souls and usually they all have a really different idea of what makes a good life. So, to find balance between all of those moving parts as well, I think supports fulfillment. And I think so, oftentimes, when people think of a good life, what means good life, people will usually say happiness, like to have happiness or find happiness or feel happy. But I think that a lot of times people don't actually want that. Like, we Create a lot of our own suffering with our minds, like our mental noise, our inner dialogue, the chatter. And it's so unnecessary a lot of the time. And there are ways and tools that we can train the mind to have more peace and happiness. And yet we don't do them, even if we're aware of them. Like for me, it is meditation or mindfulness. But it can easily fall by the wayside, and there's so many tools that are available to us. But yeah, we don't do it. Whereas if it was a physical part of our body that was out of control, like an arm or a leg that's just flying crazy, you know that people talk about the monkey mind, and people say, oh, "I can't meditate, like I'm just I'm too crazy, or my mind's too busy, or I can't control my mind." It's like, but that's the purpose of mind training. But if the if the physical body, which people are a lot more willing to, um, like look after and talk about and check in with one another but like you know if you broke a leg people would be like how's your leg going how's the healing what's happening but if it's in the mind or a mind illness a mental illness then there's a lot more awkwardness or stigma or uncomfortableness around it so anyway I think like yeah if someone had a flailing limb that was going around crazy they'd be like you need to sort that out like you need to fix that you know you can't live like that But when it's our minds we're just like oh no that's normal you know and i also think there's a whole lot of programming what makes a good life and that usually involves like conforming conforming and complying and going along a trodden path whether that be the standard grow up go to uni get a good job have a mortgage maybe marriage and kids pay your bills hopefully have a good retirement and then die like just do the normal thing and don't divert from that and people who do divert in any way, do something outside the box. Usually they are faced with a lot of like resistance, criticism. um, People's fear gets projected onto them and all those sorts of things. But if we do follow that, and I'm not saying that follow that um, trodden path and those things are wrong or bad, like a lot of those things have enrichment, you know, like higher education, building a family, having a home that you own and all those things, they have value and they can be important and they can be satisfying and enriching. But people who do all of those things, oftentimes they'll get to a point, if they have ignored their intuition and soul and heart, for example, their passion or purpose, or not explored that or acknowledged that, they get to a point sooner or later where they feel like what else is there there's something more is this all there is or they seek out like midlife crisis and I like how um maybe it was in a TED talk or something I saw they said you never see a Buddhist monk seek out a CEO to say how can I make more money like how can I be more successful you know have more material things how can I quite it's more often the really successful CEOs that might be wracked with anxiety or different things that seek out something like well what is this inner peace that that I hear about but still don't have even though I have the money I have the success I have value as far as society sees me I have status I have all the things I'm meant to have and yet there's this inner yearning or emptiness or something like that and I think it was um I might butcher his name Marsilio Ficino who was an Italian philosopher and he said um, something along the lines of if you ignore your soul and your intuition your life will be you'll be very frustrated and unfulfilled. Maybe that can sound like a bold statement but I agree like if we ignore the heart the soul the that part of us and just focus on the ego, the mind, the material world, there's going to be, there's not going to be the level of satisfaction, contentment, joy, or even bliss that is available to us. So anyway, what I'm trying to say is, (laughs) to come back to the original question, oh yes, and I was saying people don't necessarily want to be happy. I heard the funniest thing today. I was listening to something from Matthew Ricard, who's that? french buddhist monk he's have you come across him before you know he's no
0: the name does ring a bell but i can't picture a french buddhist monk
1: oh he's said to be the happiest man in the world through brain scans and scientific studies on looking at him while he's meditating and that sort of things he's the happiest man in the world and he's hilarious he's got great ted talks so he said that there was an essay written on happiness and he said the french intellectuals aren't interested in happiness, not at all. And they were, created this big controversy, this essay on happiness. And someone wrote an article about it and said, don't impose your dirty work of happiness upon us. <laughs> <laughs> he said, we don't want to be happy. We want to live with passion. We, we like the happenstance of life and we like our suffering because Sometimes when it ceases for a little while, it's so good. (laughs) And I just thought that was hilarious.
0: Wow. (laughs) Throw (laughs) a bit of intelligence into the mix.
1: (laughs) Well, I think it um, points towards something really valuable. Like maybe I said this before, but for my children, like I want, I don't want them to suffer at all, but at the same time, I love them so much. I would not want to, Dilute their experience or wrap them up in cotton wool to take away the parts in their life that are going to be the most challenging and maybe the most hurtful, like heartbreak or loss or even grief or those types of things, because we learn so much, we grow so much, we find out so much about ourselves, maybe we find more of our own self-worth, maybe we have our own awakenings through those experiences, like so much good can come of it. I would not want them to be like just having a, having happiness all the time because they wouldn't even know the difference either, they wouldn't have that contrast to really appreciate it. Um, You know, I had this client one day, he was only 18 at the time and he came in for some energy work. And at the time he was going through a breakup, his first heartbreak, and he was describing the feelings and all of that sort of thing. But then he stopped and he sort of smiled and he said, but you know what? There's part of me that if like I'm a grown up, (laughs) you know, and it was so cool to see him kind of come to that witnessing awareness aspect of himself to look from the bird's eye view and go, yeah, this hurts and yeah, this is painful, but this is life. Like, this is maybe a rite of passage or just feeling a new scope of emotion I didn't even know I had or, you know, finding out things about himself. Like, um, it was quite beautiful in a way. Um, so.
0: I, I think from your answer, you can I'm, – I'm, I'm very impressed at how wholesome is the wrong world, but how you – not, not necessarily quote, but you use phrases from psychology, from ancient wisdom, from like modern, I'm sure some of the modern methods that you're looking at as well. And it's not like you're not looking at a certain aspect of how you could view a good life. You use words like ego, suffering, and these all sort of inner, inner torments that happen as well. <laughs> to use a, um, yeah, a, a rubbish phrase, there's, there's a, quite a lot to unpack there, I Megan, so I'm going to pick on the bits that jumped out to me. The inner suffering that you mentioned right at the very start and there's this battle that's going on inside our heads and our minds and our bodies can you expand on that a little bit and is that suffering something that everyone has to go through is that something that anyone is born with an easier ride or a harder ride and how do you see that
1: well I feel like so
0: many other questions apart from that but that's the first (laughs) question you know
1: for example, when I talked about the ego's desires, like the ego's idea of a good life being money or even fame or wealth or notoriety and all those things. I think of when Michelle Obama was um, in an interview and she said, I've hung out with people who are billionaires and trillionaires and they're not satisfied for a lot of the time. It's still not enough. It's never enough. And Tony Robbins, who says he works with you know, the richest people around the world. And he says most of the time, 90% of the time, they're miserable. The ones who aren't have found something philanthropic, something where they feel like they can be of service and give to others. So I think that no matter, because sometimes people look at celebrities or wealthy people and think, oh, it's okay for them. Like they've got comfort or they've got X, Y, or Z, or they've made it. But I think anyone on the planet, anyone living an earth life, no one has an easy ride. And I think some people might go, well, I'm fine. I don't have any problems. I feel fine. I'm not like some people when they, you know, I had a client of mine who bought a gift voucher for someone, one of her staff members for an energy healing. And I think for people to even say, yeah, I'll go and do that, takes a little bit of vulnerability at least. Whereas this person, and I don't want to assume what was happening for her, maybe she just generally didn't resonate for her, but when she got given the, Voucher. She said, I don't need that. I know what I'm doing, where I'm going. I'm fine. You know what I mean? And so she kind of took that stance. And I think that is not someone who has the inner contentment either, really. Um, that's a mask. So I think many of us are. So I think that everyone on the planet has that inner critic, that inner dialogue, and somewhere inside, deep down, oftentimes, maybe always. sense of not enoughness so we can i think strive for things that we want to achieve and do and experience and succeed at but if it's rooted in fear or running away from not feeling like enough it's never going to be satisfying and it's never going to be free of suffering no matter what you acquire or attain and i think that everybody has a battle between the head and the heart what the heart says that it wants to do, like the intuition, that higher guidance that doesn't always make sense and it doesn't go by logic or reason. But like that guy said, that guy, (laughs) whose name, let's call him Fabicino, who said... We'll go with that. We'll go with that. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That if we ignore it, there will be unfulfillment and frustration because the head... So do you...
0: Hmm. Sorry, go on.
1: I was just going to say practicality and logic can offer. We can say, well, it makes sense that I need to make this choice or do this thing and go this way and go down this path. But it's fear underneath it. It's just disguised as 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 practicality, you know. So do you see it as a...
0: There's, there's two aspects in a in a slight tug of water that how you define the head and the heart and then obviously you've got everything else environmentally going around that affecting both of those things So mm. there's not there's not like a third something else pulling away is basically head and heart however we want to define head and heart those are there's there's a little bit of angst there's a little bit of not necessarily wanting the same thing and you have to somehow harmonize and get to grips with what both want and appreciate what both want
1: yes that's a really articulate way of putting it because the head can be more related to the ego the mind the personality but the programming as well what we think is expected of us by either parents or society or what we think we should do or what's right but then there is that heart that can be again multifaceted the part that wants to maybe more prioritize life um love connection but then there's the soul part which is more related to the heart i would say and when we're in earth life i think that we can get distracted by the outer noise and what we're meant to do or should do but sooner or later you know i like how brene brown she said it's like when you turn 40 language warning there's an (laughs) f-bomb i'll just say that no no no
0: (laughs) drop it in i'm I'm waiting to turn 40 next year um (laughs) sorry (laughs) <laughs> drop the f-bomb all you want i will be doing it multiple times next year <laughs> no this year what am i talking about it's 2024 already oh yeah oh, it's a funny, no yeah. i'm 40 in a month yes
1: 40 is the gone.
0: new 30. Brené... It's fine.
1: It's oh, totally right brené brown oh Hit yes she it. said it's like when you get to about 40 the universe comes and puts its hands on your shoulders and whispers in your ear and says i'm not fucking around <laughs> <laughs> So it's like I feel like we could go down this path, go down that path, do all these things, get distracted by all sorts of shiny stuff. But sooner or later, our hearts and our souls do go, right, you've had your fun and, and it's still going to be a lot of fun, but you came here for a reason. You came here for a reason What what? and you know what it is. You know what it is. I think when it comes to purpose, for example, which I think finding our purpose is really important, when it comes to a good life, a satisfying life. One way to find out is thinking of what in two ways. What did you love when you were a child or had the most interest or passion in because at some point life said or adults said or someone said, oh that won't work, that can't happen, that's not a thing, you've just got to do x y or z. So children have a knowing of it and what breaks your heart the most, what gets to you the most, what, what, I think that's a really good telltale sign of where your purpose lies.
0: This is a couple of points there. The one reason that I didn't want to do a podcast about the purpose of life, because I, as you'll appreciate, there's obviously not just one that we're all striving for. It's m- much more of an individual thing. Um, And back on the Brené Brown um, quote, I think she's uh, stolen and modernized it from Confucius said something along the lines of um, a man has two lives and his second life begins when he realizes he only has one. And it's that like penny dropping and that can happen at different ages. And that's why we see these uh, midlife crises happening or this manopause that we're starting to see where men just completely lose their shit and don't know what's going on. Um, Looking at one of the very first things you said, inner contentment. Is that something that you can easily define? Is that something that you feel on a moment to moment basis? Does it does can it happen for longer than that? And how do you know that you're content, even if it's for a fleeting second? How do you go, yeah, that's that's my inner contentment kicking in? This is this is what it's all about. Such a great question.
1: And I think it's so simple, but it's not easy to necessarily find or tap into. But it is always there and I love how that ocean analogy is so commonly used when it comes to meditation or ourselves, our consciousness, because in the depths of the ocean, like I think of when, when people were scuba diving, was it 2006, those massive tsunamis that rolled through Thailand and various places Mm -hmm. and the people that were scuba diving, they had no idea what even happened. They were down in the depths and it was quiet and still and they might have had some tug or some sense of what was happening but ultimately no and came up to a shock. So I think that deep down part inside of ourselves, it's always there and it is always available but it's covered up by so many thoughts, opinions, judgments, feelings, traumas and our mind, the noise in our mind that we miss it, we don't feel it, we're not aware of it so much and Meditation for me has been the way to find it, to stumble upon it. Well, it's one of the ways. I don't, and I guess there's there's always different strokes for different folks, like one way or another, I think we can all get there and find it as unique as our fingerprint. But meditation is such a powerful tool of mindfulness. And once it's tapped into and remembered, like, because it's never not there, it's just like remembering. It's like, oh, yeah, that's there and I can cultivate that and go there so for me as I found it and spent more time there and cultivated that connection with it then even when it came to stressful times or upsetting times so say on the surface it was stormy or choppy or whatever else was happening regardless of those were the conditions I could have an awareness of that depth And it takes practice, like exercise, like if we build up a muscle at the gym, I think it's like a a contentment muscle, (laughs) a trust muscle, I call it sometimes, because when it's tapped into, there's also a different sort of confidence, and it's not a confidence that comes from the ego or outer circumstances or feeling enough because I look good, because I have this, because I have that or whatever. It's just an inner worthiness and inner sense of confidence and wholeness. No matter what happens, I'm whole and complete and safe and I'll be fine. Um, I went on a bit of a tangent there. But, no, um... no,
0: <clears throat> this is why I love having these conversations with different people, different ages, different backgrounds, nationalities, ethnicities, whatever. Cause I think we're all skirting around the same bit We we all call it something slightly different and we all see it, but there, there's definitely common themes between what everyone's saying. It doesn't matter. Who in history said it? No one knows that much more than the rest of us know. So Jesus, Confucius, the ancient Stoics, uh, your mentors, etc. They've all got an inkling. No one knows exactly what they're dealing with. I wouldn't have thought. And we're all sort of fondling around in the dark and and latching onto things. And if you you want to call it religion, you want to call it energy healing, you whatever you want to call it. We're all sort of floating through the same path, and that's why it's so hard to uh, certainly in my. uh, For me, it's very hard to say, oh, I'm a Buddhist now or I'm a Christian or I'm a Stoic or whatever it is because they're all just humans that have come before us and they've just like imparted a little bit of wisdom. Maybe some have got a little bit closer to finding out something, but maybe they haven't. And so it's so hard to just delve into one and just say, oh no, this is the right path. Ignore everything else because maybe maybe they are slightly closer on some aspects and and maybe they're not. You've mentioned uh, a couple of times now, I've heard you use the word earth life Could you um, expand on what you mean by that and are there other lives other than Earth lives?
1: First, I love what you said about the religions too, like no one truth is the ultimate truth. And what is ultimate truth? And can we ever know it from our perspective through our human eyes? Um, We can almost touch it or almost taste it or have a vague remembrance of it, but it always feels to me ineffable and there's that veil of forgetfulness, I call it, in Earth life. <laughs> say it again. Um, so for me, and I, just to preface it with this as well, because I never intend to or want to project my beliefs or ideas or knowings onto anybody else, and don't expect that anyone else would look at life quite the same way. And that love, at the heart of all religions, like many greats in the past would say, don't belong to any religion but I belong to all religions and at the heart at the core when it is about love and compassion and teachings of forgiveness and even I think the 10 commandments is just really good advice like just really solid advice not right or wrong or sinning or guilt or hell fire but um but just good advice so anyway um so I have a resonance with almost all religions and no religions um And I just love the seeking of truth. And I love that as we continually evolve and grow and change, our beliefs and views and opinions will ultimately change. But also I feel like for me, the truths, I call them the truths that I've come to experience through firsthand direct experience, for want of better phrase, because it's ineffable, I'll say spiritual experience or out-of-body experience or through meditation to remember these truths that it felt like this is not just belief this isn't just something i read and it felt good and i'd like to know that it was true or I, it just gives me some sort of comfort that far transcends that and it becomes like a knowing so it doesn't have to be anyone else's knowing or truth but for me it's a know it, like a deep knowingness and still only just the very tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg of what there is to know from the nature of reality and our spiritual selves. So when I talk about Earth life, I suppose one of the most famous phrases that encapsulates it quite nicely is that we're not human beings having a spiritual experience, spiritual beings having a human experience. And I think life, Earth life is like a play, a movie, a dream. And in those experiences, when I've been able to tap into some small remembrance of the vastness of true nature, be that soul or spiritual reality or true essence or whatever words we like to use for it, it felt like, oh my gosh, this feels more real than this life. Like the colors are more vibrant, the emotions, the the telepathy, the communication and connection and the love, like I love life. I love sunrise and massage and food and sensory pleasures and, like, I love life. And Mother's Love, for example, like, that's said to be one of the most powerful loves in the world. And I've got to experience that, and it is beautiful and powerful and important. But compared to the love that exists, like, in the fabric of reality, in our eternal spiritual soul home, It's like dirty dishwater. It's like a black and white film with no noise. It's like nothing compared to, like, I remember when I was a young woman and I had a spiritual teacher that showed up in my life and she died giving birth to her second child. She came back to tell the story, but she said that she didn't want to come back. Like so many near-death experiences describe that oftentimes, they didn't want to come back. And I said, but, like, the way she loves her daughter is phenomenal and the way she loves her children. And I was like, but what about? your children why could you not want to come back she said you don't understand and now through my own experience i'm like i feel like i understand better this is like a dream like as i say it's important and it's powerful but 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 it is like waking up from a dream
0: no it's fine this sorry this person just to delve into that a little bit without going into someone else's um, life were they this way inclined and they believed in these sort of things before they had this, yeah. but they actually died on the operating table for a number of minutes or seconds or whatever it was, mm. came back. And did they, were they that way inclined? Did they think that there was life after death? Did they think those things before this all happened? Or was this just like an awakening
1: for them? She was a really spiritual woman since the time she was born. She had like healing, gave psychic ability and she lived, grew up in country in a country town in Australia, and so she was a little bit older than us. She, and I'm just saying that because in the country, when she was a child, it was even more taboo, unacceptable, and not right to be talking about spirituality in that way. So it was predominantly Catholic, Christian, something like that. So when she would, when they would teach about hell in primary school, for example, she would say no there's just love. God is just love. There is ultimate unconditional love. There is no hell. And she sort of try to tell the children, don't be scared. You are so loved. And she got beaten and locked in a cupboard for saying stuff like that. So anyway, she had a really hard time of it not really being accepted, but she was the woman that gave me my first energy healing. And I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what that meant. My boss at the time, at a beauty salon I was working at when I was about 20, 21 years old. And, um, my boss's friend came in for a quick coffee and she, and I was going through a heartbreak and it was like, not my first one, but it was a big, like, I felt devastated. Even though I was 20, 21, I was like, life's over. It's actually over. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but she saw my state, even though I concealed it at work, but she said, you need a healing. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but it sounds like you're telling the truth. (laughs) And my (laughs) boss was really lovely. And she said, that's fine. You don't have a client for a while. Upstairs is free. Go for it. And we went to one of the treatment rooms because, you know, when people are either in a lot of pain physically or emotionally, they try different things that maybe normally they disregard. They go, at this point, I don't even care. Let's just give it a whirl sort of thing. Can't hurt. Mm. So I was laying on the bed and I felt... She wasn't doing hands-on healing. She was a couple of feet away from me, but the heat was incredible and I could feel her. And very quickly I felt myself lift up and out of my body and I'd never had that sensation before. And it was to the point where I felt like I could touch the ceiling and I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, And in that time, like the grief, the upset, the pit in my stomach, the sore heart, like almost physical hurting heart. It just wasn't even a thing. I just had peace and it was like, whoa, that's right. I'm not that. I'm not like I am that, but that's not all of who and what I am. And then I think I had to go to my next client and boom, I was back in my body and off I went and she said to me, you just need to meditate. And that's when I I was like, I don't even know what meditation is really at that point. And that's when so many things began for me. <clears throat> Sorry.
0: Okay, energy healing. And you now are a practitioner? Yes. Energy healing practitioner. Can anyone, in your opinion, do this, become this? Everyone's got it within them to do that.
1: You know, there's been some really amazing teachers that have started out because, for example, the, um one man, his wife, fell from a building and her liver was like ruptured and she was in hospital, her bones were ruptured. She was probably going to die. She had two weeks to live. And he was atheist, not spiritual, um, not open to any of that stuff. But because of the circumstance, he was like, I just have to do whatever I can. And he did a Google search sort of thing. And he came across Reiki and he was like, I'm going to study that. And he learned it as quick as he could. And he gave it to his wife every day. He didn't really believe in it still. He didn't really have any affinity with it but he was kind of desperate. And within a matter of weeks, the wife left the hospital completely well, completely healed. The doctors are sound, So he went on to become a Reiki teacher. And now he's one of the main teachers that spread it through Australia. Him and his wife together is phenomenal. But I just love those. stories. it doesn't matter if someone believes in it or not, it can still work. They just have to have a willingness and openness just enough to give it a go. But also... I think that everyone can play piano. Everyone can learn piano, but some people don't have any interest. Some people can learn it and get some sort of level of skill with it that might be okay. They're kind of good. Some people are just natural; like they love it. They want to do it all day, every day, and they've got the passion for it and all that sort of thing. So I think energy healing is the same. Some people have the passion for it. It's part of their purpose. They love it. They dive right into it, and they can be great facilitators. Other people. Um, give it a go and they like it, move on to other things, they can be great facilitators too. But then people like the one that I mentioned, amazing facilitator, but not like at that time was not even, they weren't even spiritual, you know, like it's not for spiritual people. Mm. I think even Jesus talked about everything I can do, you can do and greater. Like, and he would come together in healing groups. He'd said, One person's powerful, two people even more powerful, especially if they have a love for each other. Groups of eight, there's something very special about the power of eight. So he'd have groups of eight people come together to do healing. And in modern day, like Lynn McTaggart, she wrote a book, which I think is called The Power of Eight, a lot of great books. Um, And she runs groups and helps people, organise groups in any part of the world. And one of the things she said was, it's so interesting because these people that get together in person or virtually, doesn't even matter. Um, They'll take turns having someone in the middle of the circle, so to speak, who's receiving the healing. But what they found was it's not just the person receiving the healing that gets benefit. Everyone in the circle had benefit and healing and solutions and stuff like that. So that's the great honour as well of getting to facilitate and do the work. It is a healing for me as well while I get to be in the space.
0: So going back to, obviously, I'm a very practical person, you're on a scale of one to 10, 10 completely believes in all this stuff, one complete sceptic. Where were you when you had your first healing at 21, 22? Were, were you a six? Were you right in the middle? Were you slightly leaning towards the, into oh. that world of, of believing in these things?
1: Well, this is what sounds a bit contradictory, perhaps, because I am a Gemini rising, so I don't always agree with myself, because on one hand, any Gemini will know what I mean, they're the two sides. So I disagree with myself on a regular basis. I, on one hand, I was always open to this stuff. I loved it. I didn't even have the language for it. I didn't know it had a place in this world. And as I grew up, I thought, well, it doesn't have a place in this world. But when I found spiritual healing centers, psychic development workshops, astrology teachers. I thought, oh, my gosh, like this is a thing. This is a thing. And there's a language around it. There's teachings around it. And there's people weird like me. <laughs> <laughs> so I was open, absolutely. Um, and occasionally my family's conversation would go into things of um, a spiritual or mystical or alternative sort of nature and I would just light up I was like yes I love this I couldn't get enough of it so I did have a real thirst for it but it didn't have a place in my life and I didn't know how to make it have a place in my life so I was open enough to say yes and I was receptive and I did have an interest in it and I did have belief in it but I had so much more to learn or to remember or to and I am still, like I still do have, even though I talk about fairies and orbs and dimensional light beings and all that sort of stuff, believe it or not, I have a healthy skepticism. I do have discernment and I am sometimes even grounded and practical. <laughs> so it's that balance, you know, sometimes even as an energy healer and I spend my days talking to spirit guides and pastor over loved ones, I talk to dead people. <laughs> so, and so I had this moment in time. I was sitting in the chair meditating and I was having a quiet week at work and the fear or the programming or whatever came in and was like, do you need to get a real job? Like, is this even a thing? You know, like, because it went from being, maybe I need to do some marketing or e-blast or do some more promotion. Like it shouldn't be quiet. I need to get busier, but it's the ebbs and flows. There needs to be quiet time sometimes. And I can just learn to trust that. So anyway, I said to my higher self or life or whatever we like to call it, is this even real? Like, is this even a thing or am I just using my imagination? Am I just a crazy woman sitting in a chair? And (laughs) I felt felt like this familiar voice said a quote from Albert Einstein, whether you believe in miracles or you don't, you are right. You can live your life like that. Like it's up to you to choose or believe. And I thought, and then I felt like, you know what I need to do? It's not hustle or push or try and book up the diary. I need to go to the gym and do some yoga. I'm tired. I want to do yoga and I want to have a nap. And that familiar voice said, we'll do that then. So off I went and I went, did yoga. And at the and it was a teacher just I happened to be doing that class. I didn't normally have time to go to that session. And I love this teacher. At the end of the class, we're in Shavasana, laying there for the 10-minute meditation at the end. And she said, you know what? Albert Einstein said, there's two ways to live this life. One is as if everything's a miracle and one is as if nothing is. That's the quote. And I had goosebumps and <laughs> I actually got teary. And when I came out of that class, my phone was full of, Text messages and emails for appointments. So it was like just a really nice reminder. When we let go, we don't have to hustle. We don't have to push. We can trust, and we can trust in that intuition. We can trust in the path. Don't need to hustle. And just listen to what you need. So I did the yoga. I had the nap, and everything worked out really beautifully. And it was a nice confirmation as far as I see it I choose to believe it. <laughs> That's a good story.
0: I like that let's go going back to this treatment couch when you're 21 so talk me through the practicalities of what actually happened on that couch so you're let's say a seven out of ten believe and or want to believe in, in these sort of things you're laying down on a treatment couch someone's across the room from you are they saying things they're not touching you what in that instance what did that energy healing what sort of form did that take what even is that because i'm completely clueless on
1: this well, there's so many modalities now and so many of each different modality, for so many different branches. So it's expanded so much. And I think that's great because it gives it form and structure and something we can learn and something we can certify ourselves in, which then gives us credentials to operate in this world without having to say to someone, oh, it's just a thing. It'll make you feel better. Just trust me and lie down. You know, it like kind of helps to crystalline so I could feel her at my head at one point I think she was even holding my head but then I felt her at my feet at the very same time and she said yeah that happens a lot don't worry um so it felt like she was a little bit everywhere or there was more than one energy or entity involved and then um lifting up out of my body was the most peaceful sensation I'd ever experienced and it felt like such a freedom of the mind for just a moment and their freedom of the, um, emotional pain and cumbersome of the body. And it was very expensive.
0: There's a, um, uh, an angel investor, um, that I just love, uh, reading his tweets. And there's, there's a whole book's been released about him called, um, Naval Ravikant and in his Joe Rogan, uh, interview, he said that he's had experiences during meditation that are comparable to something when you're on drugs you get that same you do it for long enough you can get to those same sort of levels and and dip into that sort of universe as well this seems a lot quicker for someone who's six seven out of ten in believing to snap into something that sounds out of body hallucinogenic potentially something like that how come how can you get there so quickly with this do we want to call it reiki is that what it is was it a form of reiki
1: she didn't call it Reiki or use Reiki specifically, but it but it was a band of healing energy. So we absolutely could say that it might have been Reiki, but it was um it was a form of energy healing. And she and sometimes I've asked spirit, like, why at that particular time did that experience happen? Or why in my adult life, and I know this sounds crazy to some people, but here we go. At one point in my adult life when i heard spirit for the first time really clearly and viscerally and i was like why then why then and it just felt like i was ready there was a state of readiness and it was time it was time to get back on my path it was time to get back on my intent or purpose it was to i sometimes i call it a convergence point or a bottleneck like We can go, we've got free will. We can live however we want to live at any point in time. We can make whatever choice really we want. But if there's something I feel that the soul or the life really wants us to experience and has a strong intent to whether you take road A, B or Z or a curly road or a straight road, that's kind of going to happen. So it's like um, a convergence point, a bottleneck in time or a course correction almost as well. Um, so I feel like, yeah, there was readiness and it was relevant to the things that were going to happen in my life next. It was really helpful and supportive, not just of what my personality wanted or my ego wanted, but like the deepest part of me. It was, yeah, like that.
0: So it sounds like you're open to the thought path that maybe the convergence goes the other way and you don't get that learning at that point in your life and what does that life look like does that do you think that just gets kicked down the road a little bit and then you would eventually get to a state of readiness to hear and be open to these things and for it to happen or is it just that's like you only get one convergence in your life and it's you either jump on it or you don't
1: my feeling and my knowing and my experience is that we can't get it wrong even if we miss an opportunity we miss a door we miss a convergence point or a bottleneck, ultimately it doesn't matter because there's always going to be another one and another one and another one that life or love or spirit or soul or God or whatever we call it, doesn't go oh well that was the door and you missed it and you're an idiot and now you're just going to be on this kind of lower vibration or this lower timeline or this lower path but we can play that game for as long as we want like we can kind of avoid it or numb it or distract it or double guess ourselves or go no that wasn't a thing that was my imagination that's not real or maybe I shouldn't maybe I can't maybe whatever rationalize it to the point where we I say like sometimes these knowings or experiences, say if they come in from above or from the divine or it feels kind of like up there, and then the mental noise, the mind is like a blender, a bullet, and it kind of whizzes it up and we like churn it up to the point where it's indecipherable and we don't get a chance to anchor it in our heart or in our body or in our life or we'll take action, we're kind of like... um.
0: Butcher it. <laughs> Blitz it up. Blitz it up. That's a, a nice yeah. metaphor to picture.
1: And I don't know if it's a good example or not, but I was contemplating about how, um, you know, there's so many things I wanted to manifest in my life, including adventure and making money while doing it and traveling and stuff like that. So when the opportunity arose to work on the Queen Mary II, I was about 18 at the time and through a synchronous series of events. I met the owner of Canyon Ranch, the five-star spa that is on the Queen Mary 2 before it's made in Voyage. And I got to meet Daryl Lehman and like everything just lined up Persian. I, I don't want to be away from my family for that long. And maybe I don't want to and whatever. And I let the opportunity go. Years later, I was working as a sales rep for a skincare company going on a country trip and they said to me, you need to leave early because the traffic through the city is going to be bad because the Queen Mary 2 is doing its maiden voyage leaving from the harbour in Sydney today. And I was like, who cares? It's a cruise ship. Like, is that even a big deal? And they said, it's kind of a big deal. And I drove past it and I saw the ship and went, oh. I didn't realize that's the opportunity I passed up. And the people that did that maiden voyage, they made a lot of money. They had a lot of fun. They did great. And then roll the clock forward to when I'm 26. So nearly 10 years later, through a weird set of circumstances, the woman who was doing the recruiting for an American company on a UK ship lived in Sydney close to my house. And she was advertising on a website that I was just perusing because I was sick of my job at the time. And we had a great connection. She put me in all the right places and the job fell through, came through really easily. So all these years later, the opportunity did come back. And I met so many of those people that had done the maiden voyage like I would have made those friends earlier, but they still came into my life one way or another. And as you know, it was the global financial crisis at the time. So I didn't make the money and the wealth that they did, but that's okay. <laughs> but I still, but I just think it's a good example of like, when an opportunity or situation is kind of meant for us. It will come back one way or another. Um There's a, like they say, when God closes a door, he always opens a window. There's always, there's always the way.
0: And then you get down the path of, do we need to be choosing anything? So you might choose, oh, that's the right thing to do at the right time. That's the wrong thing to do. But if there's no wrong path, you can just meander along. But is there actually, is a slight purpose to find the right way to go or not the right way, but you know what I mean? Is there a path that you should be steering towards if you can, rather than just going with the flow constantly, constantly missing these opportunities, constantly being unconscious about what's going on around you? do you think we should be steering ourselves in the right way or uh, it, just go with the flow. Uh, the opportunity will come up again in a bit. Maybe we'll take it the next time. Maybe we won't.
1: Feel like from the soul's perspective, because it's eternal and it's outside of time and space, like linear time doesn't exist on that level. And our lives feel like a long time. If it's 80 years, a hundred years, or 60 years, whatever, it feels like we're here for a long time and that life's long, if we're lucky. Um, but as far as the soul is concerned, what I've felt or learned in meditation is like, or I call it meditation, but I suppose out-of-body experiences, whatever, a lifetime is equivalent to like 12 seconds, or like seeing a movie. One time this analogy came to me that it was like, going to a supermarket like yeah that's important you get what you need you have certain things on your list that you might have go might go there for when you get there sometimes you get distracted and you don't even buy what was on your list or you end up getting a lot more than what was on your list or you bump into different people you have a bit of a chat an interesting exchange maybe even a fight but it's not your whole life like it's just one experience and it's important and helpful but it's not your whole life So as far as our soul's concerned, if we don't get it right or find that awakening or that purpose or that like attunement with all the different parts of ourselves in this lifetime, and some people might have come into this life not for that, like to literally just explore the material world and all that it has to offer, maybe explore emotion, maybe explore the themes of control, power, And that sort of stuff, which this is a really good place to come to for that. Um, And not really go into the soul stuff. And the soul doesn't care how many lives that it takes. So that can sometimes feel disheartening instead of uplifting or freeing. Because it's like, oh, well, how many lives do I need to do? Like, I'm really tired. (laughs) I don't know if I want to keep doing this.
0: Go back to your, you call it the guiding spirit. You, You reference it like there was one. Is do you see it as you, have you named this thing? Is it one guiding spirit? Is it multiple ones that come to you at different times? Is it is it actually just you and a voice inside yourself that just talks to yourself from time to time?
1: Um, is yes, a you know, we all have voices inside, some don't like to admit it, and there's the ones that we know is our inner dialogue, ones that we know is the fear, ones the inner critic. There's so many there's a certain familiar quiet still voice that's like a conscious or that deeper knowing or and some people hear it inside or outside or just more of a download of a knowing for me it just feels different at different times depending what's the path of least resistance or what's going to creep me out the least but my (laughs) feeling my experience says that there is one main guide that I have that we, that I feel like we all have a main guide that's always with us. And there is no time, linear time outside of this realm. But if there was for eternity, there's that one main guide. And generally people, and I feel I have two or three main guides, like, so there's the main guide, and then there's two or three main guides. And then there's heaps of others, heaps, depending if we're quite, questions specifically about nutrition relationships how to peel a boiled egg like it doesn't matter what your issue or challenge that you're doing at the moment there can be specialized guides and as we grow and evolve and change different ones step in different ones come in you know one time in a meditation and it was guided by a teacher of mine who was a healer of mine as well and at one point they guided us to like because I always feel them behind me, beside me or behind me. Not that they're in space necessarily, like time, space, reality, but sort of beside me, behind me a little bit. And as I turned around in my mind's eye, I saw this fanning out of like, there was passed over loved ones. There was ancestors like past and future. There was light beings. There was all sorts of like, just a, and I couldn't name them all or identify that they're outside of form even though sometimes they do show a certain form which feels more like a symbol than actually who and what they are like for example when people see their spirit guide as a native american indian or a buddhist monk or an angelic being or an orb or a past life self or whatever or a grandmother or whatever whatever it's usually just to help them feel safe but they're not actually any of those forms. That's more symbolic for my perception, for my comfort, for my, um, um, benefit. So anyway, I feel like there is lots and lots of guides, but as the one or two or three most familiar.
0: I could, I could dig into this all day, but I'm going to have to uh, move it along slightly, but you've mentioned meditation. Quite a few times as how do you, how do you tap into these realms that you get to do how did you get into it how do you do it from a day in a daily basis now what is your your habit of meditation and how often do you get to these what do you want to call them not quite otherworldly experiences but what do you call them
1: sometimes i I call them out of body experiences but but they're not just don't really have the language for it even still Mm but um, multi-dimensional experiences because it's other dimensional realities. It's not the normal material 3D world. So that's one way to put it, I suppose.
0: So on that very first occasion, you tapped into it very quickly in however long that session was, but it seems to have taken hold really, really rapidly. Have you now built up your meditation practice so that you can dip into it almost at whim and you can like almost click a button and "Mm, there I am again.
1: Yes, I have, over years of practice. And I think for some people it is that all of a sudden spontaneous, powerful experience. For some people it's more subtle, gradual, gradual, slow burn. And for me it's been both some key punctuated moments that have been so powerful and pivotal and life-changing and yet gradually, gradually, slowly, slowly, it's been building and strengthening that ability to drop in at will. So it's a bit of both. Um, and so I've got my earliest memories of those types of experiences include from the time I was one year old is my earliest experience. But as an adult, as I came back to it after that experience on the treatment bed, and she said to me that day, you need to meditate. And that's when I said, what is it? How do I do it? She said, Here's said She gave me a CD that was celestial music to give me something in the background to help focus. Shows mind. us
0: how far we're going back now. Just pop the CD in
1: <laughs> for the young ones out there. A CD is a <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, it's
0: like, <laughs> you don't need to, you can't rewind it. So, a CD, this is an audio thing version, like a
1: guided meditation. Um, she did give me some guided meditations and this one was also Celestial Music. It's one of my favorites still, is by Celeste. So if you Google Celeste. How convenient. Celeste. Celeste, and um, that piece of music, yeah, it still remains one of my favorites for meditation. And when I'm doing the healing work, I think it helps to transport me. But um, she said, Don't worry if you cry a lot at the start. And I thought, I'll be okay. But when we sit quietly with ourselves, it can be shocking and surprising to find what's in our minds and in our emotions that we don't acknowledge or. um look at on a daily basis like kyle Sue calls himself the transformative comedian he was a stand-up comedian who had a spiritual awakening and he's hilarious still but he's a spiritual teacher so anyway he said one day he was driving along and he was in a red light and he reached for his mobile and he was quickly fidgeting with it and fidgeting with the radio and he thought what am i doing i need to sit here for one or two minutes and i'm agitated What's wrong with me? And he said, he went through that light, he pulled over the car, and he said, I'm not leaving here until I figure out what my problem is. And so he sat there in silence without stimulation, and he started getting really angry, and he started thinking all these thoughts, and then he actually felt really sad. And then he found himself in tears, and he was crying, and he was like, Oh my God, I didn't even know that was in there. But he was sort of trying to avoid this thing that was bubbling up inside. But after he let himself cry, He felt so much better. He felt this peace that came over him. And he was like, wow. So for him, that was a really powerful moment. So anyway, I experienced the same thing. When I sat in meditation, I was surprised. It was like a decluttering of my mind. I saw the thoughts. I came up against so much. Like I did this for Vipassana meditation retreat, 10-day silent meditation retreat. And people said, oh, I couldn't do that. I'll just
0: stop stop you there. You you stayed silent for 10 days, Megan. (laughs)
1: <laughs> i know it's unbelievable
0: <laughs> transformative i'm sure actually 10 days without saying a word yes Okay.
1: <laughs> and meditating 10 hours a day while i was at it
0: 10 S- hours a day
1: Yes, so you're there with so many other people, but you're not allowed to have any contact. You're in noble silence. So you don't look at anyone. You don't communicate. You don't read. You don't bring your manicure set. You don't do yoga. You don't do anything. You have no distractions whatsoever, no journaling, nothing. So you get up at 4 a.m. and you meditate for 10 hours every day for 10 days. And people said, I go crazy. And I realized, no you don't go crazy. You realize how crazy you already are. And this is not just me. (laughs) This is everybody because day two or day three or day four, at some point, everybody wants to run for the hills. It is very confronting. But the reason I bring it up is because that was such a great experience to have so much time to go into like all the thoughts, all the things and dive into that deep part of ourselves kind of thing. And at the end, Everybody looked so peaceful and had such a transformation and such powerful insight.
0: Did many drop out?
1: Yes, some do. Yes. And
0: every So going back to this guy, um Naval Ravikant, he advises well, he, he just says one one way that you can do meditation is and he he says go for go for an hour. If you can get an hour in then that's great and just sit there and do nothing. You don't have to focus on your breath. You don't have to do it. just sit there and do nothing. And eventually your brain will work. It's like exactly what you just said, the decluttering. Eventually, given enough time, you'll get to inbox zero for your mind. And you'll know when you get there. And it obviously takes people different amounts of time. Is your When you first started your meditation practice to, to what you actually do now, do you do much more than literally just sitting there and doing nothing?
1: Oh, yes. And it reminds me of the tendon I went on before because it started with the guided meditation, which was very helpful to give the mind a distraction, something to focus on so it didn't get too crazy. Then just the music, something to focus on and help. And then silence. I was ready for just silence. And, um, And Zen meditation is my favorite, which is just sitting there silently. You know, someone said to JP Sears, who's a hilarious spiritual teacher, and he said, again, another F-bomb, but they said, how do you stay centered? How do you stay peaceful or focused or find your enlightenment or whatever? He said, the FFF meditation. They said, what's that? He said, feel your fucking feelings meditation. Sit there for an hour in silence and feel like shit. (laughs) (laughs) And even if you, even if it's the worst meditation you've ever done, the next day you'll feel better. And it's so true. So I love the FFF meditation, the Zen meditation, but sometimes in our lives it's not the best one because if someone is tormented or mentally ill having a huge amount of challenge sometimes i think it's maybe not the safest or the best the guided meditation the music meditation stare at a candle like when i'm having a challenging time i will light a tea light candle and stare at that flame because it's mesmerizing and it's something to focus on and or moving meditation out in nature and things like that. And now with more practice and things like that, like with anything else, with more practice, it is easier to drop in. But one of the gifts of motherhood for me personally, I got to a point where my life was, um, I'd meditate for hours every day, like preparation for work. And at the end of the day and before each session and during every session, I was in a meditative state. And I think we use that term as an umbrella term for so many different states of consciousness, but that's fine. And so I got to, and I could control my environment. You know, like if it was a hot day, I'd be in air conditioning or I'd go for a swim at the end or I'd burn my incense and have my crystals and I'd be in a sort of controlled environment somewhat. And I could tap into that peace and that forgiveness and compassion. And I love my kids so much. It's the greatest gift ever. And disclaimer, disclaimer, they're awesome. I love them, of course. (laughs) And... (laughs) The sleep deprivation and the challenge and what it brings up in a person, maybe not for everyone, but if someone says it doesn't, they might be lying or taking some sort of drugs, (laughs) but it can bring up everything. And it's like, wow, how compassionate and loving and peaceful and patient can I be while I haven't slept, while I haven't eaten, while I haven't showered, while I haven't spoken to my husband for days? Like, you know, my environment is not under my control and I'm not in a state of comfort. and now. Can I tap into that? And I felt like I had the opportunity to build up such a reservoir and such a skill that it did support me, but that's not to say that I wasn't, like, blasted and smashed down to 3D reality and in such a dishevelled state that I was able to start from ground zero once again and find peace once again. And how
0: do you resonate with the idea that there is, there is an inbox zero and then what comes after that? Is, that? is that the experience that you had, that you had to go through some crap and you had to just hold in there, hold in there, hold in there, and then there is some sort of paradise at the end of it all? Yes. Can you, can you articulate how that fit, what Inbox Zero felt for you? And then does it, <laughs> you, know, you know me, I, I like the absolutes, I like the practicality. Once you get to that Inbox Zero, how big is the gap before you started to see massive, huge benefits and even these otherworldly experiences, these other dimensional experiences? Are they all coming along the way? Or it's, I oh know you really have to get a lot of space. You need to create this space in your mind before you can open up to those bits.
1: I feel like it is unique as our fingerprint again, maybe different for everybody. And if I haven't meditated for a while, it will be another decluttering. It will be like the one time I went into meditation and I literally saw myself in my mind's eye. It felt like going into a dusty attic or more to the point of dusty basement where things are kind of stored and forgotten about and it was boxes covered in dust and grime and it was like I had this get in here what's this doing here I don't need that I don't need that it was a clearing out so time and time again it can be that and those um, moments and experiences of tapping into that inbox zero um, and what's beyond it came at different times and when it came to me it felt like freedom and opening up a whole other universe, like a whole other world, a whole other reality. And
0: to give you access to that, that feeling that you got on the treatment table when you were 21, is that how you knew you were getting close to it because you started to get familiarity of a, a sense that you've had previously?
1: Yes. And that, but even that time on the table at 2021, it did feel familiar already. Like, that's why I love how so many ancient teachings talk about And Eckhart Tolle. He says, I'm not teaching anything new. I'm not teaching you anything you don't already know. You've simply forgotten. And so many ancient teachings say that. It's a remembrance, a remembering coming back to ourselves, the deepest part of ourselves. Sometimes I liken it to, you know, in the center of a storm or a hurricane, it's still, like it's still and it's quiet. But then around it, and I feel like our spine, our energetic spine, this like the heart, the soul, whatever we call it, there's this like band of energy right through the middle of us that is that eye of the storm, that is that center, that depth of the ocean and that peace and that zero-point field or whatever, and around it is like the thoughts and all that. And those thoughts actually don't even have to stop. Like that's helpful if they do, and that's a beautiful space to be in. But the thoughts don't have to stop. That can become like a distant background, white noise or hum. Like when you are under the water and you feel the waves go and they kind of, you can sense them, but you don't get sucked up into them. You're in that deep, beautiful space that's kind of weightless.
0: And is this where you spend the majority of your life now that you have spent so you put in the hours, the reps of meditation more often than not? you can see what life is for what it is and remain calm or what actually pushes your buttons now and can actually take you out of that and get you further away from that state of calm that deep sense
1: it's in both it's both and it's so funny because If somebody asked my husband like you know oh she's so calm she's so lovely like how great to be married to someone like that and he would probably just crack up laughing because he also sees like the anxiety that comes and the worry or the overthinking and all the other humanly stuff that i fall into and especially in these last five years that have been so challenging in in unique ways at different times so it's there and I can also be eerily calm, like if there's some life-changing news or bad news or catastrophe or something. Or if my children just like smash and break something, or you know, like or out and about. Sometimes if someone smashes a pile of plates in a restaurant, people are like, oh, like they kind of react and they're angry and they're da-da-da. um or in traffic. Whereas I can be more regularly in a space of non-reactivity, which gives me the opportunity to not sometimes come down hard on my children or my husband or with people around me. Be like, what are you doing that for? Why is that there? What did it, like, just be more reactive or aggressive or defensive. Um, I can have that calm with me when I need it. And that eerie calm when something bad happens. Sometimes 72 to 84 hours later, it hits me like a tsunami, so that can also happen. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but it whole, it really supports my life so much. And I know, like the other day, I was thinking, I'm totally overwhelmed. I don't know where to start. I've got a million things to do, and not enough time to do it. And I was going around in circles in a very unproductive way. And I felt like, yeah. you know what you need to do, you need to just meditate and chill out. And so I It's hard to do that when we're busy, you know, to just stop and sit like that um, Buddhist saying, they say, meditate for 20 minutes twice a day, unless you're too busy, in which case meditate for an hour twice a day, you know. (laughs) Um, So I sat down and it was just 10 minutes, but that was enough to just cool the jets, reground, center, release whatever I was so agitated about. And then the priorities were clear, what I needed to do first. And I got so, and time is so bendy. We don't think it is. But when I go into that state, time is so much more flexible. I have a little prayer that I say sometimes, an intention, where I say, let time be fluid so I've got ample time to do what I need to do and a little bit extra. And it works. So so anyway, um, then... It's so
0: interesting how you talk about that. You mentioned it previously, like that veil of forgetfulness. So even though you've put in the hours, you spent time doing this, you can still fall into old traps just like anyone else can. So it's not like you've completed something and then forever you're in the enlightened zone and you can just float along. You will forget and you will get caught up in the the rat trap uh, the rat race again, and you're just you you're in the exact same spot as someone who's never meditated for once in their life until you start to remember and slow down and take your time with it all.
1: Yes, I feel like it's not one and done. Like healing, for example, if if there is something to overcome, it's never like start, middle, end, done. It's like spirals. It's always spirals, or curly, It's So annoying!
0: Why can't yeah, we just it do is. it and it's done? That's really frustrating. <laughs>
1: because I said to myself, for example, with coming to motherhood, oh, I'll be fine. I've done vipassana. I've done meditation. <laughs> I'm going to be a calm, gentle parent all the time. And then, of course, it's like, no, sometimes you're going to feel like you've never done a day of work on yourself in your life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I feel like sometimes we feel like we're going backwards. And sometimes spirit says, like in sessions or to me, When we go forwards in cycles, we think that things are linear, but they're not. It is cycles. It is spirals. And when we come down to the depths of ourselves, the shadow, our programming, our fears, whatever, it can feel like, why am I back here? I thought I evolved past this. I thought I've grown past this. But. We've got that expanded state of consciousness and awareness to take back into the shadow, into the depths, and use that wisdom, use those learnings to approach it better, to approach it in a new way, with a new perspective, and come out the other side, all the better for it, and ready to fly off into the next expansion, if we're willing.
0: That's great. We've gone on some wonderful tangents as part of this. I've almost thrown out the, uh, the question list. It's been pretty much pointless. Um, I will bring us back to, if you've got time, um, a quick fire round uh, and then we'll call it. But uh, it's yeah, I've, I feel like I've learned quite a lot and it's been very interesting. I, hopefully you've enjoyed it as well. I am. Um, quick fire, quick fire round. What book, podcast or blog would you give someone?
1: A Walk in the Physical by Christian Sundberg is the book I would give. And any podcast that includes him. um,
0: He's still going there and still creating things. Yes. out there.
1: I'd love it if you had him on your podcast. Have a conversation between you two would be utterly fascinating. He is someone who has, through his meditation in his 30s, regained his before life memories. Okay. And he's just very humble, very grounded, beautifully articulate for all these things that are ineffable. And I love his story and so much of it resonates. I don't know if you've seen it yourself already.
0: No, I've not. I've not. I will check that one out. What was your biggest light bulb moment where you learned something about yourself? Um,
1: Well, I guess there's so many. There's one stand out one when I was in my late 20s and I was actually having a kahuna massage and I I um, could call it a
0: kahuna massage does that include pineapples what's a kahuna massage
1: (laughs) it didn't include pineapples in mine but I wouldn't have minded a pineapple at the end (laughs) and it is from Hawaii so you would expect some sort of tropical fruit but um (laughs) Kahuna Massage is an extension on from Lomi Lomi. I don't know a lot about it to be fair, but I have experienced a lot of them since. And it's a Hawaiian, they call it Kahuna Massage because it's the big massage. It is not just a massage. It is like life-changing, deep healing, profound, amazing experience. And um, I was lucky enough to have this one that, anyway, I'll try and keep it brief. I was working in my business in a place where there was 20 other massage therapists working there and I became good friends with them. And one of them, she said to me, because I had space in my diary that day, booked in with her for a massage. She said, can I do the kahuna massage with you? I've just learnt level five, level six, the seven levels. I didn't know what that meant. I said, sure, let's do it. She said, it is very relaxing, but she said, you might cry. You might have a big release. These things might happen. And I said, no, I'm okay. I don't think so but, but I'm open. And so, um, so it was a very enjoyable experience. She got to my stomach, they massage your stomach. And I hold a lot there. Everybody holds their emotional stress in different places. Right. And for me, it was the stomach. And I did find this huge tsunami of emotion and all of these memories and stuff came up and I was crying. I was sobbing and I loved her, the massage therapist. I felt really safe with her. So I just totally rolled with it. And then I can't even explain what happened next, but I will try because I, I, it was like the breath was moving. It wasn't separate to me. I became one one with the breath and, and I dissolved my ego, my personality, my identity kind of dissolved and I became everything. And I became like, I remembered, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, I think when you see babies in the crib looking at their hands, I remember being in the crib looking at my hands going, wow. And it is like this life experience it was like mirroring nature of life again. And that it is so temporary, and we've forgotten our true nature and who we are. And it occurred to me that I had concerns around losing weight. And I thought, how ridiculous like I'm in a body having an experience. This is amazing, why would I worry about that? And I looked outside afterwards in the trees and the cushions in the room, like everything was colorful and full of life and I was blissful and joyful. So from going through the depths of all my traumas into this freedom and elation and awakening within the dream and a realization of true nature and true beliefs, true unconditional love, like just indescribable experience and I knew it was familiar I knew it was something inside everybody but we're missing it one of the thoughts I had at that time was like oh my gosh I've been missing it this whole time I've been trapped in my thoughts and my head and my walking along beautiful streets doing beautiful things activities but missing so much of it because I was trapped in my thoughts anyway so I knew myself. I knew of like I knew myself in a whole new way, in a different way, and life's never been the same since then. It's taken. That was in my late twenties. I'm now forty, and I'm still unpacking that experience. Um, so that's probably the wow. most powerful moment where I knew something very different about myself that was always there, and I never even knew it.
0: Imagine if they'd included pineapples. <laughs> the experience to be out of the world. What's your best and worst habit?
1: My best habit?
0: This is you, not your husband talking.
1: Well, my best habit is meditation. Like that, if that could be a habit or a behavior or a hobby or a thing, that's that's something that's improved me as a person and my life in every way imaginable. Um, as a person, my best habit might be Being affectionate and lovely, generally. (laughs) My worst habit might still be defensiveness, procrastination, and (laughs) self-doubt.
0: If you had to tell one person to take one step towards having a good life, what would that one
1: step be? Do whatever you can to free yourself of the inner noise and the concern with judgments from the outside world. And meditation may well be the step, the portal that could open up the whole universe inside of you and free you of your own self-imposed suffering. Okay. Is
0: there any part of mindfulness that you don't resonate with or it just hasn't worked for you yet, like journaling or any of the other sort of modalities as you call it? Is there anything you've tried and you're just like, no, that one's, that one's not actually for me. That one doesn't work for me.
1: Different times there has been things and then at other times those things that didn't resonate come to me and are very relevant and helpful but for me journaling automatic writing channeled writing I sort of call it is one of my favorites um, and all forms of mindfulness or meditation or healing I love I try so many different things all the time something that didn't resonate for me there was something sorry I'm just trying to think of what it was
0: you still gave it a go
1: yes I always want to try everything but that's the thing too just uh, I would say I
0: you only have one life but
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would disagree <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh you might remember it in the next life that's fine <laughs> <laughs>
1: There was one healer that actually moves energy through her own physical body. And we all do in our own ways, I think, but that involved burping, belching. (laughs) And I just don't need that. I just didn't feel like that was distracting in a way for Mm. me that I thought. Oh, but you gave it a go. I gave it a go. Yes, absolutely.
0: You got the the Coke and Pepsi on the side. You're like, right, come on, here we go. (laughs) no need for pineapples
1: i don't mind i know energy moves and shifts in funny ways and people on the table sometimes they will after the session they might vomit have diarrhea like literally physically evacuated that's the path of least resistance to clear out whatever needs to clear out but um
0: and you take it as a compliment <laughs>
1: like good it's working that's great well done. <laughs> Well done pass me a napkin <laughs> it doesn't happen very often so anyone considering having a treatment with me <laughs> won't <laughs> induce a gastrotype effect normally <laughs> but um so I don't mind different people work in different ways sure but yeah that particular experience I, um, and anyone who's a little bit too th- theatrical like if I feel like it's a little bit inauthentic and a bit over the top I can't help but cringe and think ah oh. mm-hmm. Not needed. Really. <laughs> and
0: last question. So who in your life should we talk to next if we want to learn how to give a, live a good life?
1: Well, there is a client of mine that came in yesterday who's become a dear friend of mine, actually. And she's a transpersonal coach, a therapist, a healer. She's got so many modalities. Her comey, she's powerfully She's so articulate and intelligent and just an incredible human being. And she's hilarious as well. And I actually told her that I would be speaking with you. And I wonder, I said, I want to mention you to him. And she said, I'd love a conversation. So I would love it um, if that worked out.
0: Bring it on. We'll make that happen. Absolutely open to that uh megan thank you very much for coming on the podcast is there anything else that you want to leave the listeners with before we sign off
1: thank you so much for having me it's been really interesting and fun um but any last thing to say to live a good life I think just be really honest with yourself about what you think that is, what that needs to be, how that looks and dig a little bit deeper. Where's that coming from? Is it coming from fear or love? Is it coming from the mind or the ego or is it coming from that quiet whisper inside, whatever you like to call it, your heart, your soul, your intuition, what else could be true? What else could be possible? And what if you put no limits on yourself? Then what?
0: leave that one resonating and if anyone wants to contact you or, or get in touch presumably they can just put good vibes out into the universe but is there a more solid way to get in contact with me they
1: could telepathically tune in or <laughs> send a smoke signal or a messenger pigeon but if they prefer <laughs> they could absolutely mm-hmm. go to my website which is lotushealing.com.au they could join me on facebook They could join me on Instagram and they could join any of my online courses that are coming through now. So at any point in time that anyone's listening to this, it's in within the first quarter of 2024, they're going to be put onto the website so people can access those anytime from anywhere, which is um, at the moment, I'll just do briefly, Psychic Development, Intuitive Development, Spiritual Development, Calm Mini Course. Because people need to cultivate calm and manage stress, and to, and if they want to, that can lead to accessing the inner worlds, so to speak. And manifest mini course is the new one that's about to start in January 2024 to be able to tap into the law of attraction, their creative ability, their ability to create their reality, and use law of attraction in there more deliberately for their highest good.
0: Amazing. Thank you. I'll make sure I get all these links in the uh, show notes as well. So anyone watching this can just click down and uh, get straight through to you. you. Thank you very much for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me.